this podcast, we're about to nail its ass. <laughs> I'm going to nail your ass. I'm going to nail your ass. Go nail your ass. Well, hello and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What's up? Watch Rob Jobs <laughs> and then record our thoughts and post them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners. Listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing tonight? I am fucking exhausted. Like, <laughs> oh my God. It's just, I never thought I would complain about this after, after spending so much time during COVID not doing anything and not seeing anyone. <laughs> to then, to then go from like that to suddenly actually like having shit to do throughout the week and then realizing <laughs> just how unready for that I am like mm-hmm. like physically like yes and, and mentally and mentally honestly like yes like I honestly need a weekend now to just not talk to anyone yes <laughs> Yeah, the the physical aspect of it, of just, especially for you, because you go to the office five days a week. Yes, which which has been, oh my God, it's been such a big mood booster since doing that. Like, being yeah. able, to, honestly, to socialize with coworkers again has been nice. And yeah. that's helped, but like, yeah, it's like, you don't realize how used to not dealing with people throughout the day we got. Mm-hmm. Holy God, I am just, I, I need a vacation already. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and like you have like meetings and, you know, and all that other sort of stuff like that you have to deal with, with yes. people and so on and so forth. And you know who else like meets and has negotiations and such? matrimonial lawyers like miles massey in intolerable cruelty which is what we watched this week i'm too tired to make fun of that segue but you know you know it's there i took a long walk but i got it, there I feel. It, it, it works it works <laughs> um, yes uh intolerable cruelty let's just jump right into the notes uh it's a 2003 american romantic comedy film Directed and co-written by Joel and Ethan Cohen and produced by Brian Grazer and the Coens. Uh, the script was written by Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone. It's an int- what? Is that? No, it's Trey Stone who did who does South Park, right? Um, I, I don't know. I was never actually a South Park fan, but yeah. with the power of the Internet. Pretty sure it's Trey Stone who does South Park. Uh, but Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone, who also wrote alongside Ethan and Joel Cohen. It's it's Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Trey Parker and Matt. Oh, so Matt Stone, Matthew Stone. I wonder, I wonder if, if it's the same Matt Stone from South Park who co-wrote this film. Okay, Matthew Stone, writer, 
that would that would make a lot of sense when especially like with like the the dialogue in this film that would make a lot of sense and the comedic timing keep reading while i while i search while you look into that um we might have but, a nugget of uh, what was what was the uh, old tasty tidbits. tasty tidbits? Yes, I actually re-listened uh, to like the first half hour of uh, our wedding date episode not too long ago, nice. just to listen back to it, and it was it was fun listening back to like tasty tidbits. Um, <laughs> you know, I kind of wish I'd maintained the the motivation to do that because. <laughs> When I've listened back oh, well, on those episodes, they're funny. Well, that one in particular, I actually had more tasty tidbits than you because you couldn't find anything. And then I had watched the DVD extras. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, See, just, uh, I should have done more research. I should have. <laughs> the Cohen brothers uh, wrote the last draft of the screenplay. Um, and then the film stars George Clooney, Catherine Zeta Jones. Jeffrey Rush gets third billing, even though he's only in like two scenes, um, like wow. two or three scenes. Yeah. Uh, and then Cedric the Entertainer, uh, Edward Herman, uh, Paul Adelstein, who plays Wrigley, the uh, the paralegal that works with George Clooney's character, Miles, uh, Richard Jenkins, and Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, Thornton. Uh, Joel Cohen gets sole director credit on this, even though the Cohen brothers worked on this. What did they? Now, okay, the what? How? How is the Cohen brothers spelled again? C O E N. Now the film uh, was released on October tenth of two thousand three, and. It's uh, got a running time of 100 minutes. What is the budget of the film? Mm. $40 million. Not too bad of a guess. $60 million. Jesus. Well, think of the actors uh, and the timing. I know. That they... I know. Yeah, a lot of big names in the film. Yeah, those are pretty big names to cast for a rom-com. Yeah. Although, granted, it is a Coen Brothers movie. And we could talk about the rom in this rom-com in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but how much did it make in the box office? Well, I'm guessing if the big names play out, we're looking at $200 million. It made $120.2 million. Oh. Not bad, but yeah, I think that's about right for a Coen Brothers George Clooney jam. Like, if you think like that's true, because well, like, the Captain Zeta Jones though throws me off because it's like she mm. was she was a pretty big draw. Yeah, yeah, just because she's pretty. gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Um but the uh yeah it was uh the intolerable cruelty is the cohen's first job as writers for hire so it was based on an original concept 
by an author, uh, John Romano. It had been developed into a screenplay by Robert Ramsey and Matthew Stone, mm. who wrote Big Trouble and wrote Life. Um, and the script was passed among directors and writers for several years. And then that was usually starting from the Coen's version. And so finally, um, well, and then the initially the screenplay was attached to Ron Howard and then Jonathan Demme, who had planned to cast Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant in the lead roles. Of course. So we're back to these two. <laughs> and then after their planned film of James Dickey's novel to the White Sea fell through, the Coen signed to direct the movie and dug out their original script to work with. What? So um, the Coens had another film that they were going to film, but then that fell through. And so because of that, the Coens said, oh, no, we'll go ahead and direct this. Don't worry about it, Jonathan. We, we got it. And wow. Then, um, and then when they took it back, they were just like, eh, let's let's go with our original screenplay. <laughs> we, we got wow. it. Wow. Um, and then filming began in January, or excuse me, on June of 2002, and it was delayed due to George Clooney's schedule. Um, and most of the film was shot around Beverly Hills. Some was filmed in Las Vegas, of course. Um, and then with a budget of 60 million, it is the most expensive film directed by the Coens. That I can see. Yeah. Uh, so... The Rotten Tomatoes score. Mm. There's 188 reviews for this film. Okay. What is the Rotten Tomatoes score for this? 50-50. Uh, this is a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say 52%. This film is certified fresh at 76%. So that's where they went. Okay. That's where I was and, trying to figure out which way they fucking went with yeah. it. Yeah. And the critics' consensus is though more mainstream than other Cohen films, there are still funny oddball touches, and Clooney and Zeta Jones sizzle like old time movie stars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 We were saying that the whole time. Like, it was quality. It was fun to watch in that mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader. Hey! Yes. Uh, they gave it a positive review. Uh, he wrote, the Coens do an efficient job of stamping their signature grotesquerie on sumptuous Beverly Hills and Las Vegas settings and ladling on gallows humor and malice, sometimes with the verb of early Robert Zemeckis. I think that's I just a little, said, yeah, <laughs> that was wordy as fuck, dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damon Wise of Empire Magazine, also considered a top critic. Gave it a positive review as well. Uh, gave it a five out of five. And wrote, The Coen's first mainstream romantic comedy is a superb hijacking of an ailing art form. Short, sharp, and frequently laugh-out-loud hilarious. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Rich Kizanak of Film Threat uh, gave this a 2.5 out of 5, and it's considered a negative review. Okay. Um, and wrote, it's destined to rank among the Coen's least memorable achievements. How is that helpful? Don't know why that was, <laughs> but that was the blurb. Um, uh, Louis Jerome Cloutier of Panorama gave it a C plus, so it's considered a negative room, a negative review. And their review is "Ce film est tout ce qu'il non vit pas voir le Cohen fire." It's in French. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and there go our two french listeners yeah and then finally jeffrey overstreet uh another critic gave it a b plus and wrote the script is whip smart the cohen's come closer to the zaniness of their greatest comedy raising arizona than they have in all of their movies since then oh raising arizona yeah which is another cohen jam um yeah so I mean, that's the biggest thing with this film, I think, for, like just to start off from the jumping point is that this is a Coen Brothers jam <laughs> and it shows in it's just the, the comedy of it um, and the way that it's made. Like, because I mean, I've I uh, I've seen Burn After Reading like. Do you remember Hollywood videos? I was I was just gonna say like explain what that actually means because I don't know that I've seen a lot of Cohen Brothers films. So, I, but I, you asked how have I seen what? Well, do you remember the do you remember Hollywood videos? Like which the, was the store? The, the, yeah, like the rental video chain, the DVD store, or the t- originally the cassette store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when it closed down, um, when it was like there were all the stores like in Love the Oregon those area, stores. yeah, in the Oregon area, there all the stores were like doing their going out of business thing and like yeah. selling a bunch of DVDs. And this was, I want to say, while we we're in college, like late college, like. I want to say like the summer 07, summer 08, summer 09. Um, And it was actually in like the Corvallis area. I was hanging out with my buddy Craig and we decided to go to a Hollywood video that was closing down and they had a sale where it was just like, you know, all everything was like, it was like buy five and get 25% off or 50% off the DVDs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, just it was basically an everything must go. Yeah, you know, get this out of our things. store, sort of thing. Yeah, so it was just like a lot of those things where there were a lot of like new releases at that time where I bought the DVDs before I actually watched the movies because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like yeah. So Burn After Reading was one of those new releases that I bought before I actually. Oh, I can see that. So I have it. I own it on DVD, and I've watched it once, and I remember watching it and just. And I've like that's one of the few Coen Brothers movies I've seen, but they have the same feel where it's just like, you know, like folksy music, and like this, yeah, you know, like they do things where, you know, 
like the dialogue speed in this one, um, especially like in that very first um, meeting between that the the quote unquote meet cute between uh, Marilyn and Miles, and like with, yeah. with like the one that the scene that we rewatched because we thought it was so funny the way he reacted. Oh God, yeah the the sit the yeah. initial sit down between the lawyers. Yes, in the yeah. are you nuts? Don't you remember Kirshner? <laughs> like that, like that whole dialogue that's exchanged between. Okay, like, forget Kirshner. That, that is that 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 is a Cohen Brothers feel right there. And then what's his name? What's the actor's name that was in Step Brothers too? Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins is that he really plays his Freddy. name? Yeah, doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Richard he Jenkins. plays he plays Freddy the. The lawyer, yeah, the, the other lawyer. The lawyer yeah. His fucking facial reactions in that scene mm-hmm. are that was what made me want to rewatch the whole damn thing. It was like, God, the whole build up to that. He's just so done talking. Yes. <laughs> when he slams everything, his face looks so real. Yes. And then that but that was yeah. that like perfectly sums up this the comedy in this, the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like absurd comedy that was like holding on by the fingertips to reality. Yes, but it still, but it still felt realish. Like, like the whole, ish. the whole movie was weird. The whole movie was outlandish. Like, and, but it was still, it was like, what did I compare it to? It was like romancing the stone. Not the podcast, but the actual movie, Romancing the Stone. Romancing the Stone. Like, yeah. And I would equate it to the fact that, I mean, I mentioned how, like, as we were rewatching that scene, that this movie was obviously lampooning the lifestyles of, you know, Hollywood producers and their, their wives and just like, and mar- and marriage lawyers and like and yeah. and every and everything in between, just the absurdity of it all. Everyone the is thing is, Yeah, and the thing is, as a society, we're well aware of what goes on in Hollywood, but we do not have a firsthand knowledge of it. Right. So we so it's something that we know, but we don't know. And that's why you can do absurd things. Because we know it exists as a, as an audience, but we don't know specifically what it does. So we're willing to believe some right. of the crazy shit that they give us. And then they also even get a little real a couple times too. That I I want to specifically go into a couple of those because that like in Vegas specifically this yeah. the movie really really plays the the sentimental card but first off i think as a com like let's go with that half of the rom-com as a com as a com completely understandable where we get that from the dialogue is whip smart super fast and the absurdity and screwball comedy of it all felt very old school hollywood very like 30s 40s 50s hollywood and it was a fun it was just fun and hilarious yep. like easy Hence to laugh the, at 
Hence the tie back to who's on first. Yes, like the who's on first bit. Um, the fact that they could somehow find a way to say, say nail their ass or nail your ass 50 some odd times and every time it was funny somehow because it was always in a different context like first we hear it in person but then then you continue to hear it in so many other contexts like over over the little the little re-recording in the the courtroom like the background of things like all these different applications like his keynote speech is going to be on nailing their nailing your partner's assets. Yep. <laughs> like just like the title of it. It's just so funny. Just so funny. But you know, so all of that is great. The ROM. Yeah. A little tougher. That's where just most of the 60 million that they spent was obviously on the acting budget. Yeah. Because they got George Clooney and Catherine Zeta Jones and George Clooney and Catherine Zeta Jones smolder like none other on movie screens. So it works like their smolder made up for everything that was lacking in the script as far as romance is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had chemistry from, Literally the first moment they shared the screen. Yes, it was. This I was, mean, it was very sexual raw chemistry. It was. It wasn't. Yeah, like to go back to our you know show tell infer yeah thing. This was definitely a show. Did not tell us much. It was Didn't hard to infer. They just showed us like. It was it was definitely looks. It was looks between the two, and then these throwaway scenes, and then the scenes became more sentimental. Um, but it, it, it <laughs> yeah, it's a lot it's of outlandish shit, and the rom is not. It's not immune to that. Like everything about the rom was outlandish, or at least unrelatable. I don't know if it was outlandish. I just think it's such an interesting story. Like it, I don't know how I feel about it, but it's extremely interesting how miles is so good at his job that he find that he basically finds out or he, he lures Marilyn out of her house gets Gus to give him the address book so that he can find the Baron, AKA Puffy to then get this concierge to hurt her case. So she doesn't even get anything from the real estate guy in the, and like basically and and so miles does all of this. And, and like, and is so good at it. To where she then, in her mind, is seeks revenge to the point of, I'm going to trap him into, like, not to marrying me without a prenup. And then she's going to nail his ass. Like, his ass becomes the revenge plot. Oh, I see. You think that was her motivator? Yes. That's why she fake married an actor. Yeah, but I didn't think it was vengeance. I thought it was like 
money. It was always, it was always like she kept saying her main motivator was like freedom and shit. Her main motivator was independence, yes. But right. at the same time, Miles specifically took that independence away when he beat her in that case. And he did so by deceiving her. And I feel like she then turned like her new target and her new Patsy wasn't necessarily could have been someone else. It could have been the guy that they were trying to get her to, to take over before she even finished her second divorce. They were talking about some random like name when she was meeting up with her friends. But oh, instead, yeah. she put her focus and attention on some Miles because she knew Miles had a little crush on her. That's true. And so she then was like, okay, that's my Patsy. That's my target now. Jeez. And it could have been anyone else. And that's why it's so interesting to watch this. And then at the end, it's just like, well, can we still trust each other? Can we throw it all away and be yeah. together? And then, yeah. So that's why, like, the calm part works. The raw part is still tough to swallow. It really is. It's very tough. But, well, and they also they also really don't provide as much in terms yeah. of Rob. Like the dynamic between them never really gets shown, other yeah. than the 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 looks and the smoldering. The, the looks, the, the the passionate, yeah, the fire. You know, we Which, get we get two kisses between them, and both of them are in like super fucking passionate context. You know, mm-hmm. and so. That's where my that's where it takes me to my next thought, which is like, let's you know, we, we mentioned it earlier. There's scenes in Vegas when it gets a little more sentimental. The dark shit. <laughs> like, I mean, you could call it dark. It's not dark. It's not dark. It's not dark. It's the good that they're shit. talking about it. Yeah. It's what we as an audience who are looking for a little more rom in our yeah. rom-com what we have to grasp towards and we have to hold on to in order to make everything okay in our minds as a looking at this as a rom-com. Yeah. That dinner scene that they have, the second dinner scene, the one that they have in Vegas where she mentions how, you know, her, her widow friend lives alone and when has an ulcer to keep her warm. Oh God. And how they both have one, these these you know settlement or it's like she's won the settlement but she's still in her independence but she still feels empty and then they both and it, that's when you realize that these two sides are so good at what they do and yet it does not fulfill them yep and you realize she's as good at being a gold digger as he is at being a, you know, a matrimony lawyer. And it cannot provide them the happiness they seek. And that is such a fucking like real thing. Not only a real thing to talk about in mm-hmm. like for us, for you and me, for, for everyone. Like not only mm-hmm. is that right there, like an actual kind of relatable thing in the movie to pop in there. But then like in that context, that is such a real thing for two people to be admitting to each other in a, like, you know, in a, I guess it wasn't technically a romantic situation yet, but like in a 
practically romantic situation. I feel like romance and vulnerability go hand in hand. Exactly. And to be that vulnerable. Yes. That's is, that's huge vulnerability. Yes. Which they allude to how many fucking times in the movie? They talk about they how many times they're naked or um, exposed. What was that's what the term was. Well, that goes to the the other part that you hold on to is his speech. Oh well, which one? The one where he's up in front of Nomad or No Man or whatever. Well, it is. His his keynote speech in front of No Man. Yeah. Where Which it, it's just yeah hilarious that they that they call it no man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that speech he gives, and it, it, like that's where you realize as he's giving it. Oh yeah, by the way, George Clooney, Academy Award winner. <laughs> right, forgot about that. Yeah, like, yep. he's just like, oh, that's right. He could act his way out of a fucking paper bag. He's he's he, like really damn good at this. Whole, I like he's really fucking good. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. Like I I forget. Yeah, you're the whole time you're watching this. You just see this like smarmy like matrimonial lawyer who cares about how white his teeth are, and then all of a sudden he talks about you know how he's like this is the first time I'm talking to you, you know in a vulnerable state, you know, in, in love and how, you know, with love, you know, when the, do we extinct like with cynicism and how like cynicism is, you know, is what kills love and da, 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 da. And that whole entire speech is so touching and yeah. to see his performance, you just, you're so happy for him. You're like, Holy shit. Yeah, he's, because he's got it. Because you know he's he's grown too as a character. What do we always say in a fucking rom com? What do we always say? What do I always we say? Always, at least? We always, you you like to see growth. I gotta see the growth. Yeah, that's just that just sounded sexual, but <laughs> well. And then on top of that, the stewardess mentions how he was gonna win when he went to Vegas. Yeah, this is him winning. Yeah, this is him winning and then when and then when uh marilyn is flying back the store same story that says she didn't win yep and she agrees yeah and it's just you know so it's just that whole part did a really good job of being like no we we understand that there's supposed to be a rom part and that deep down these humans are broken in a way that needs to be fixed but yeah, at the end of the but at the end of the day, if there's a screwball joke to be made, then the screwball joke's gonna be made. <laughs> if we got to introduce a character, a character named Wheezy Joe and a murder for hire plot, we're gonna introduce Wheezy Joe and that murder for hire plot. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Him. That was so random. <laughs> if we're gonna have him think he's got his inhaler in his mouth and it ends up being his gun. We're going to have the gun go off. And also, out. that was surprisingly dark as well. That was kind of like, it was not Extreme. at all up there. But it was Extremely up there. Extremely dark. Yeah, right? Like, the, it was kind of up there with the, like, the, the deaf children. <laughs> that's that's where you knew. Like, that's where. It just this came out of nowhere. The, that's where this being the, what, the Coen's, like, first attempt at writing a script for, like, Hollywood 
is kind of shows its ass. Like, yeah, I get that because your your final act involves a fucking murder for hire plot by a guy named Wheezy Joe who kills himself thinking he's got his inhaler in his mouth. Like, yes, this is you not knowing where to go from here. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was like I feel like they didn't have to introduce Wheezy Joe at all. Yeah, why was he even to... introduced? I mean, because they were I, it, I like just... what what was it just to create some sort of like race to the finish sort of intensity there? I feel like it still would have made sense if instead of like he finds out that, you know, Billy Bob Thornton's character was an actor and he gets left at Vegas. She says, you know, oh, I won. And then he gets, you know, he gets his ass chewed out by the by his boss. And yeah, maybe and, and that he's like sleeping on the couch of his paralegals place, like having it all go apart. And then you show the 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 real estate guy dying. You don't even have to include Wheezy Joe. Just keep showing George Clooney's life devolving into everything horrible, and just like keep the montage of him like in his life falling apart because he finally was vulnerable. And then you intersperse the real estate guy dying, and then he finds out. Wait a second, she's richer than me. Why does somebody always have to fucking die in these scenarios? Well, in this case, the real estate guy had to die in order for her to gain that wealth. Right. At least he died doing what he loved, I guess. Banging young broads with <laughs> with the train in the with background. A giant locomotive. That had that scene had to be like five hundred grand to build. Just for like to, like a twenty second scene, too. Yes, yeah. Which that, is yeah, hilarious. To me. You're right. That had to have been expensive. That was li- that was yeah. really huge. I wonder if it was like one of those sets that's just like left over from from yeah. from, from something else. You know that they did. I mean, other, you know. Who knows? I don't care. It was still visually incredible and a hilarious sight gag. It was. got a lap. It got a laugh, so money well spent. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, granted, like you do run into something where now that she's richer than Miles, then it's one of those like, oh, you know, now she comes to him with hat in hand, or like. How would you rectify that without Wheezy Joe, without yeah. the murder for hire plot? That's where you would have, like, I guess you could have Miles because he's kind of a despicable protagonist because he's the metrum, because he's this lawyer who, you know, fucked over her independence and he got got. Maybe you still have him, like, maybe she comes to him with, like, hat in hand. Like, I'm sorry. Like I would like a settlement, so and so, such and such, and instead, like after she apologizes, maybe and is yeah. saying everything in order to save her wealth, he just slides over the prenup 
And he says, I'll, I'm willing to reconcile. How many fucking prenups do we have to tear up in this? I mean, we have to tear them all up because it's love. It's vulnerability. That's right. That's right. I think the moral of this story is sign the fucking prenup, guys. <laughs> and do not rip it up. Sign the prenup and have copies. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always kind of debated that, too, in my head, where I'm like, I feel like I can understand the the romantic in me understands the concept behind like not having one, not quote unquote needing mm. one. Mm. But then in reality, I'm like, of course, like even if I don't have really any assets to fucking protect, it's still like, I don't know. It's still preserving something that it's like, you know what? This was my independence before you came into my life. This is who I was. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any of that tainted or taken away because it's part of me so yeah i I don't feel like that part is that bad i feel like that's 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 love too that's love for yourself yeah that's it it's it's basically saying look i don't know where life's gonna go all i know is that right now i want you to be a part of that life but I am open to the possibility that you may not desire to stay with their, to stay with me in that journey or vice versa for whatever yeah. reason. And if we do that, I want to be rid of you as soon as possible because <laughs> if there's a prenup, you don't have to talk much. You just follow uh, yeah. the prenup and go away and let's never talk again. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, yeah. But let's, uh, you know, we you mentioned, you know, there's a kiss, there's a couple kisses in the film, and that's about it. Like, I mean, there's about two or three. I personally liked their very first one when she, when he pulls her away from Billy Bob Thornton, and then he kisses her when he has her like up against the wall. Oh yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, that was that was that was pretty smoky. Yeah, that was good. That was a good one. And then also, because it wasn't an elongated kiss, you didn't see the issue with Catherine Zeta-Jones kisses, which is that she obviously has some sort of... Like, I... Like, does she have something in her contract? Not necessarily something in her contract, but she's just... I think it's obvious, like, there's some sort of, like, stage stage type of kissing because like with with acting like when you're taught to how to kiss on stage yeah you're taught that you keep your mouth open a little bit and you just like and you meet mouths you don't necessarily move lips but you just meet Mm. mouths you just you go like oh (laughs) and your mouth's like just kind of kind of come together and then that's it and then like what what is it again (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just putting my like who would be anyway. Uh, but like that's so like you're just meeting mouths. Um, you know the worst case, like the worst example of this would be Love Actually with Colin Firth and, and oh, the lady. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the worst version of it, but. That's the idea behind like state. And, and I feel like that's the case with Catherine Zeta Jones, especially when they were like making out on the bed after they've been married. 
she she but, does she does seem a little I don't know, just uptight. She's very pretty. <laughs> I, I, we're gonna stay there. She's very pretty. And, and, Max, and don't very, take it any further. Come she, on. And she's very she's very nice to look at and and that's the case in this film. You notice um, we say that George Clooney is a great <laughs> actor, and we didn't we didn't say anything about Catherine yeah, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's. I mean, it, she was decent. She was decent. She was decent, and her character is written well, and she performs that character. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'd say that's accurate. Yeah, but nonetheless, I. That first kiss is like the perfect like amount of time that they kiss, and also pretty like passionate and steamy for who they are and everything else. So, I, I would give it just a, a B. That kiss myself. I actually I was thinking exactly a B. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I, I don't. Catherine Zeta Jones kisses leave me kind of like unsatisfied yeah she just comes off as a little i don't know stiff yeah and uh you know and it's i don't know george clooney is like yeah he's a gorgeous human being but i don't know i mean uh, yeah like i get it i just you know I mean, but it was it was great context, great passion, and chemistry nonetheless. So yeah, solid B. I agree. So speaking of speaking of uh, speaking of kisses, uh, I was riding my bike to meet up with Gabby uh, at uh, I think I was going to meet up with her dinner, and I rode past. I was like weaving down Lincoln Park neighborhood streets. And it was, it had just, the sun had just set and it was nighttime and no one was really going through these neighborhood streets. So it's really quiet. I come across this couple standing right under a street light, straight fucking like Italian style kissing, like <laughs> pure Italian style. Yeah. Up against a brick wall. And I, it, it's just them on the street, under the street light. And I ride past and I'm just like, I am bobbing my head like, holy shit. And like total approval. I'm like, A plus. A plus, guys. <laughs> Fucking get it. Get it. It was phenomenal. And I love that our podcast has now allowed me to start viewing the reality that way and just being like grading things. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally my instant thought was like a plus i'm grading it where showcases of emotion and passion are now being graded in your head <laughs> i'm glad that we've gotten to this point um, as far as what happens after ever after i i think they get divorced <laughs> like I don't, they don't last i mean what what gives you that idea? I, I, I don't. That, I have no idea where that, that could possibly come from. The fact that they were both willing to kill each other at one point, like literally kill each other. Like let's not. Yes. She has the nerve yeah. to ask him, "How can I trust you again?" <laughs> like you tried to kill me. He's like, "Well, you 
<laughs> you tried. Uh, yeah, the uh, just in general. I, literally. Yeah. Literally tried to kill her. Like he hired a hit. Yeah. He had a hit put out on her. Yeah, in order to save his career. I don't know how we're taking that shit lightly. Like I like I don't know about you, but I I feel like that would that would kind of ruin it for me. We're taking it lightly because he was willing to be extremely vulnerable for the first time <laughs> in his life and and also ruin his career, quote unquote. It, like for the first time it, like ruin his entire career in front of everyone in no man. And she deceived him. And so he was so hurt and didn't know what to do to the point where he was in, where he was told what to do and followed through with it. Of course, he wasn't sure to follow through with it because he was messily saying, I'm Mr. Smith. <laughs> the guy. <laughs> but, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but once he figured out that there was a way out of it, he tried to get out of it. And then everything happened. Um well, at least I think them ending in divorce is probably for the best. At least it's not ending in them dead. Yeah, and they both have their own fortunes, so I'm sure there'll be a quick and speedy divorce and won't be messy at all, and there won't be any more murder plots. Um, <laughs> with that said, though, this movie's still entertaining as fuck, and I laughed a bunch, and I... I'm I'm happy I saw it, so I give it a fuck. Oh, this is definitely a fuck. Like this is <laughs> yeah. This is actually this is probably a very good example of the fuck rating. Yes. Like this is well worth one watch if you're gonna give any movie a watch. Just fucking sit down, try this movie. It's George Clooney. It's Catherine Zeta Jones. The fuck you have to lose. Some good it's a Coen Brothers script, so there's a lot of fun jokes. Yeah, there's quick, witty humor. There's sight gags. There's verbal gags. Well, oral I gags. Mean, no, there dialogue gags. Like, and it's only a hundred minutes long, and that's not even counting the credits. So really, it's like ninety-five minutes long. It did feel pretty long to me, but that may have been just because I was really high. The first hour was real quick to me. When they when they're on the plane going to Vegas, you're an hour in. Oh well, we did pause it quite a few times. Never mind. Now that yeah, yeah, but that's then, true. You're an hour in at that point. Yeah, it's the last half hour that was slow. Oh my god. Okay. Well, they because they fuck each other over so many damn times that it's like, Jesus, how many more like weaves and turns are we gonna get to before that Wheezy Joe part's tough? (laughs) If the Wheezy Joe part's not in there, it's closer to Mary for me. But it's just yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, because of it. Yeah, but nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, glad I randomly stumbled across it. Uh, and yeah. that we didn't have to pay anything additional for it. And that's that on that. So you can find our socials. The show's Instagram is at bromancing the stone podcast, all one word together, bromancing the stone podcast. 
And then on Twitter, it's at bro, the stone pod, B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then you can find me on Twitter at supermarket sweep without the E in super. So that's S U P R market sweep. Uh, and you can find my Instagram at relusa 88 and that's R E L U S A 88. And then also you can listen to me on another podcast that I have with my sister, Rebecca called we watched our MTV. And we talk about music on that podcast. Uh, it's a fun one. Uh, shouting it out because yeah, I enjoy it making it and my sister and I are the only ones who listen to it. So you should listen to it as well. <laughs> and then Max, <laughs> I listen to it on oh, Instagram. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's also a Spotify exclusive because it's got music. Oh, that's right. And, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so it's only on Spotify because it also has songs, full songs. So, yes. God forbid, God forbid, you actually put some music on there. <laughs> well, we don't put music on this because we have multiple platforms that we share this podcast with, which is why we have tens and tens of listeners, <laughs> and not just three. Uh, I wish we could sometimes. We've done it once. Uh, we did it with oh, the yeah. Singer podcast. We did it with the Wet Singer episode, and we've only had like four listeners on that episode yep. because it was only on Spotify. So, yep, 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 yep. Anyway, <laughs> uh, on Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted, which is T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. Yes, indeed. And then episode ninety nine is next week, and it's your choice. Before we do our special hundredth episode special that we'll talk oh about. Oh my god! Next week. I got nervous thinking about the hundredth episode. Yeah, well, I mean, we still got to have a production meeting about what we're going to do specifically, but we'll we'll deal with that next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely do need to talk about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to keep the ball rolling with another movie that's just coming up, and it's got. It's got potential and it's uh, free on Prime. Hey. So I'm rolling with it and it's it rolls with the theme too. But it's got Clive Owen and Julia Roberts. Which is kind of an interesting pair in my brain. Um, I mean, the one movie I know of them and it is closer and that movie is not a rom-com that's a that is much different no, definitely no, not a com, but no. it definitely has a lot of rom in it although it's a dramatic it's rom. A different kind of rom too yeah. <laughs> um, that's a different least, kind of rom yeah um you know it has the line where uh clive owen asks julia roberts what it has come taste like and she says it tasted like yours only sweeter uh oh my god yeah so that's the movie closer if anyone wants to watch mike nichols the same guy who did the graduate also direct a movie with a bunch of aquariums in it uh and also natalie portman (laughs) and jude law and clive owen and julie roberts oddly though i i would still suggest it but only (laughs) once because that's about all you'll be able to handle, but I've never forgotten it. I'll tell you that much. Anyway. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Chosen. We don't, well, we're not watching that. I'm sorry. Um, okay. This is, this is five years after closer was released, which was 2004. So this is 2009 mm-hmm. called duplicity. Okay. The name 
the name definitely sounds familiar. I don't know anything about the plot. It's uh, two former government operatives who are now collecting big paychecks from rival companies as corporate spies. Does this fucking sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... I see. It's a thriller rom-com is what it says on yep. Google. It's a <laughs> and uh, let's see here. Yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Smith came out four years before it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yep. So ooh, Paul Giamatti's also in it. Right? So like it's got potential, I feel like. Um and I yeah. mentioned it's Julia Roberts. We I gotta see a Julia Roberts. We, we've seen so many damn Julia Roberts movies on here that I feel obligated. Another so watch another one, or like at least check this out and like give it a chance. And it's yeah. you know it's on it's on Prime. Yeah, I'm. I you know what? Let's do it. So next week we'll be watching Duplicity. Until then, for the tens and tens of listeners, we love y'all, and we thank you for listening, and we will catch you later. Love you guys.